Chapter Three of the Chronicles of Avonlea. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Chronicles of Avonlea, by Lucy Maud Montgomery, Chapter Three, Each in His Own Tongue, Part Three. The sun had set when Mister Leonard reached Spruce Cove and the harbor was veiling itself in a wondrous twilight splendor. Afar out, the sea lay throbbing and purple, and the moan of the bar came through the sweet, chill spring air with its burden of hopeless, endless longing and seeking. The sky was blossoming into stars above the afterglow, out to the east the moon was rising, and the sea beneath it was a thing of radiance and silver and glamour, and a little harbor boat that went sailing across it was transmuted into an elfin shallop from the coast of fairyland. Mr. Leonard sighed as he turned from the sinless beauty of the sea and sky to the threshold of Naomi Clark's house. It was very small, one room below and a sleeping loft above, but a bed had been made up for the sick woman by the downstairs window looking out on the harbor, and Naomi lay on it, with a lamp burning at her head and another at her side, although it was not yet dark. A great dread of darkness had always been one of Naomi's peculiarities. She was tossing restlessly on her poor couch, while Maggie crouched on a box at the foot. Mr. Leonard had not seen her for five years, and he was shocked at the change in her. She was much wasted. Her clear-cut, aquiline features had been of the type which becomes indescribably witch-like in old age, and, though Naomi Clark was barely sixty, she looked as if she might be a hundred. Her hair streamed over the pillow in white, uncared-for tresses, and the hands that plucked at the bedclothes were like wrinkled claws. Only her eyes were unchanged. They were as blue and brilliant as ever, but now filled with such agonized terror and appeal that Mr. Leonard's gentle heart almost stood still with the horror of them. They were the eyes of a creature driven wild with torture, hounded by furies, clutched by unutterable fear. Naomi sat up and dragged at his arm. "'Can you help me? Can you help me?' she gasped imploringly. "'Oh, I thought you'd never come. I was scared I'd die before you got here. Die and go to hell. I didn't know before today that I was dying. None of those cowards would tell me. Can you help me?' "'If I cannot, God can,' said Mr. Leonard gently. He felt himself very helpless and inefficient before this awful terror and frenzy. He had seen sad deathbeds, troubled deathbeds, ay, and despairing deathbeds, but never anything like this. "'God!' Naomi's voice shrilled terribly as she uttered the name. "'I can't go to God for help. Oh, I'm scared of hell, but I'm scareder still of God. I'd rather go to hell a thousand times over than face God after the life I've lived. I tell you I'm sorry for living wicked. I was always sorry for it all the time.' There ain't never been a moment I wasn't sorry, though nobody would believe it. I was driven on by fiends of hell. Oh, you don't understand. You can't understand. But I was always sorry. If you repent, that is all that is necessary. God will forgive you if you ask him. No, he can't. Sins like mine can't be forgiven. He can't and he won't. He can and he will. He is a God of love, Naomi. No said Naomi, with stubborn conviction. He isn't a god of love at all. That's why I'm scared of him. No, no, he's a god of wrath and justice and punishment. Love! There ain't no such thing as love. I've never found it on earth, and I don't believe it's to be found in God. Naomi, God loves us like a father. 
like my father naomi's shrill laughter pealing through the still room was hideous to hear the old minister shuddered no no as a kind tender all-wise father naomi as you would have loved your little child if it had lived naomi cowered and moaned oh i wish i could believe that i wouldn't be frightened if i could believe that make me believe it surely you can make me believe that there's love and forgiveness in god if you believe it yourself jesus christ forgave and loved the magdalene naomi jesus christ oh i ain't afraid of him yes he could understand and forgive he was half human i tell you it's god i'm scared of they are one and the same said mr leonard helplessly he knew he could not make naomi realize it this anguished deathbed was no place for a theological exposition on the mysteries of the trinity christ died for you naomi he bore your sins in his own body on the cross we bear our own sins said naomi fiercely i've borne mine all my life and i'll bear them for eternity i can't believe anything else i can't believe god can forgive me i've ruined people body and soul i've broken hearts and poisoned homes i'm worse than a murderess no 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 there's no hope for me her voice rose again into that shrill intolerable shriek i've got to go to hell it ain't so much the fire i'm scared of as the outer darkness i've always been so scared of darkness it's so full of awful things and thoughts oh there ain't nobody to help me man ain't no good and i'm too scared of god she wrung her hands mr leonard walked up and down the room in the keenest anguish of spirit he had ever known what could he do what could he say there was healing and peace in his religion for this woman as for all others but he could express it in no language which this tortured soul could understand he looked at her with writhing face he looked at the idiot girl chuckling to herself at the foot of the bed he looked through the open door to the remote starlit night and a horrible sense of utter helplessness overcame him he could do nothing nothing in all his life he had never known such bitterness of soul as the realization brought home to him what's the good of you if you can't help me moaned the dying woman pray 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 she shrilled suddenly mr leonard dropped on his knees by the bed he did not know what to say no prayer that he had ever prayed was of use here the old beautiful formulas which had soothed and helped the passing of many a soul were not save idle empty words to naomi clark in his anguish of mind stephen leonard gasped out the briefest and sincerest prayer his lips had ever uttered o oh god our father help this woman speak to her in a tongue which she can understand a beautiful white face appeared for a moment in the light that streamed out of the doorway into the darkness of the night no one noticed it and it quickly drew back into the shadow suddenly naomi fell back on her pillow her lips blue her face horribly pinched her eyes rolled up in her head maggie started up pushed mr leonard aside and proceeded to administer some remedy with surprising skill and deftness mr leonard believing naomi to be dying went to the door feeling sick and bruised in soul presently a figure stole out into the light felix is that you said mr leonard in a startled tone yes sir felix came up the stone step janet got frightened what you might fall on that rough road after dark so she made me come after you with a lantern i've been waiting behind the point but at last i thought i'd better come and see if you would be staying much longer if you will be i'll go back to janet and leave the lantern here with you 
"'Yes, that will be the best thing to do. I may not be ready to go home for some time yet,' said Mr. Leonard, thinking that the deathbed of sin behind him was no sight for Felix's young eyes. "'Is that your grandson you're talking to?' Naomi spoke clearly and strongly. The spasm had passed. "'If it is, bring him in. I want to see him.' Reluctantly Mr. Leonard signed Felix to enter. The boy stood by Naomi's bed and looked down at her with sympathetic eyes. But at first she did not look at him. She looked past him at the minister. "'I might have died in that spell,' she said, with sullen reproach in her voice. "'And if I had, I'd be in hell now. You can't help me. I'm done with you. There ain't any hope for me, and I know it.' She turned to Felix. "'Take down that fiddle on the wall and play something for me,' she said imperiously. "'I'm dying, and I'm going to hell, and I don't want to think of it. Play me something to take my thoughts off it. I don't care what you play.' I was always fond of music. There was always something in it for me I never found anywhere else. Felix looked at his grandfather. The old man nodded. He felt too ashamed to speak. He sat with his fine silver head in his hands while Felix took down and turned the old violin on which so many godless lilts had been played in many a wild revel. Mr. Leonard felt that he had failed his religion. He could not give Naomi the help that was in it for her. Felix drew the bow softly, perplexedly, over the strings. He had no idea what he should play. Then his eyes were caught and held by Naomi's burning, mesmeric blue gaze as she lay on her crumpled pillow. A strange, inspired look came over the boy's face. He began to play as if it were not he who played, but some mightier power of which he was but the passive instrument. Sweet and soft and wonderful was the music that stole through the room. Mr. Leonard forgot his heartbreak and listened to it in puzzled amazement. He had never heard anything like it before. How could the child play like that? He looked at Naomi and marveled at the change in her face. The fear and frenzy were going out of it. She listened breathlessly, never taking her eyes from Felix. At the foot of the bed the idiot girl sat with tears on her cheeks. In that strange music was the joy of the innocent, mirthful childhood— blent with the laughter of waves and the call of glad winds. Then it held the wild, wayward dreams of youth, sweet and pure in all their wildness and waywardness. They were followed by a rapture of young love, all surrendering, all sacrificing love. The music changed. It held the torture of unshed tears, the anguish of a heart deceived and desolate. Mr. Leonard almost put his hands over his ears to shut out its intolerable poignancy but on the dying woman's face was only a strange relief, as if some dumb, long-hidden pain had at last won to the healing of utterance. The sullen indifference of despair came next, the bitterness of smoldering revolt and misery, the reckless casting away of all good. There was something indescribably evil in the music now, so evil that Mr. Leonard's white soul shuddered away in loathing, and Maggie cowered and whined like a frightened animal. Again the music changed, and in it now there was agony and fear and a repentance and a cry for pardon. To Mr. Leonard there was something strangely familiar in it. He struggled to recall where he had heard it before. Then he suddenly knew. He had heard it before Felix came in Naomi's terrible words. He looked at his grandson with something like awe. Here was a power of which he knew nothing, a strange and dreadful power. Was it of God or of Satan? For the last time the music changed, and it was not music at all. It was a great, infinite forgiveness and all-comprehending love. It was a healing for a sick soul. It was a light and hope and peace. 
a Bible-text, seemingly incongruous, came into Mr. Leonard's mind. This is the house of God, this is the gate of heaven. Felix lowered the violin and dropped wearily on a chair by the bed. The inspired light faded from his face. Once more he was only a tired boy. But Stephen Leonard was on his knees, sobbing like a child, and Naomi Clark was lying still, with her hands clasped over her breast. "'I understand now,' she said very softly. "'I couldn't see it before, and now it's so plain. I just feel it. God is a God of love. He can forgive anybody, even me, even me. He knows all about it. I ain't scared any more. He just loves me and forgives me as if I'd have loved and forgiven my baby if she'd lived, no matter how bad she was or what she did. The minister told me that, but I couldn't believe it. I know it now. And he sent you here tonight, boy, to tell it to me in a way that I could feel it. Naomi Clark died just as the dawn came up over the sea. Mr. Leonard rose from his watch at her bedside and went to the door. Before him spread the harbor, gray and austere in the faint light, but afar out the sun was rending asunder the milk-white mist in which the sea was scarved, and under it was a virgin glow of sparkling water. The fir-trees on the point moved softly and whispered together. The whole world sang of spring and resurrection and life, and behind him Naomi Clark's dead face took on the peace that passes understanding. The old minister and his grandson walked home together in a silence that neither wished to break. Janet Andrews gave them a good scolding and an excellent breakfast. Then she ordered them both to bed, but Mr. Leonard, smiling at her, said, "'Presently, Janet, presently, but now take this key, go up to the black chest in the garret, and bring me what you will find there.' When Janet had gone, he turned to Felix. "'Felix, would you like to study music as your life work?' Felix looked up with a transfiguring flush on his wan face. "'Oh, grandfather, oh, grandfather!' "'You may do so, my child. After this night I dare not hinder you. Go with my blessing, and may God guide and keep you, and make you strong to do His work and tell His message to humanity in your own appointed way. It is not the way I desired for you, but I see that I was mistaken. Old Abel spoke truly when he said there was a Christ in your violin, as well as a devil. I understand what he meant now.' He turned to meet Janet, who came into the study with the violin. Felix's heart throbbed. He recognized it. Mr. Leonard took it from Janet and held it out to the boy. "'This is your father's violin, Felix. See to it that you never make your music the servant of the power of evil, never debase it to unworthy ends. For your responsibility is as your gift, and God will exact the accounting of it from you. Speak to the world in your own tongue through it, with truth and sincerity, and all I have hoped for you will be abundantly fulfilled.' End of chapter 3, part 3